everybody. Welcome to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast, episode 409. Vitrasane. Vitrasane. Am I pronouncing that right? I think sure. so. I hope so. Um, this was written by Jennifer Hutchison and directed by Vince Gilligan. And both of them are here today, as is Peter Gould. Hello. Hello. And we have two. Hello, Jen. Jen. Hi. How are you? I'm, I'm well. Thank you for asking. Excellent. Uh, it hasn't only been a few minutes since the last podcast we recorded. No, nope. it's been several weeks. <laughs> let's Absolutely. Say. Uh, and in that, in those several weeks between podcasts, we've moved two very special guests in: uh, the composer of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, and AMC's Preacher, and NBC's The Blacklist, and countless other projects. <laughs> Dave Porter. Yay! Yay! Hello there. And great podcast voice. The star Yeah, that's we were talking about how great your podcast voice is just before we started recording. And uh, and we have another special guest today. You know her maybe as Kim Wexler on a program called Better Call Saul. It's Ray Seahorn. Yay! I have to try my podcast voice. Hi. Hello. Well, that's good. <laughs> that is good. That's, that's, that's really nice. It's like an NPR voice. Oh, I want, oh, that would be a dream. <laughs> So we shook it up with the intros, totally out of order, and that's how it's going to be. And I think it's exciting. This is what happens. We're all having fun. This is what happens when Kelly Dixon's not here. That's right. It's just off the rails. Off the rails. The cat's away. We're losing it. Um, I know I'm not supposed to make noise with the glass, but it it makes me happy if everyone thinks like we're sitting around with like drinks on the rocks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Gin and tonic. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're creating some some ASMR records for everybody to have. Oh, but no. uh, but yeah, and also Joey Reinish is here. Hello, hey Joey, hey. And, and I'm here. I'm Chris McCaleb, and Hi, Chris. now Hi, we're talking about episode four hundred nine, and that's very exciting. This is the penultimate episode of the season. Yes, that sure is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. I just came from ADR, and I got to do uh, a couple of lines with a scene where uh, we're pulling the scam with the crutches. Yeah. And um, and I and here's my incredible story. I had to hop while doing the ADR. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Did well, Catherine because, make you do that, or is well, that your choice? Well, because to make your your breath sound the same, because it's a line that's happening while I'm hopping. Right. Um, and the only thing that was even slightly technically more difficult than that, which was not at all, was not laughing while I watched Mr. Odenkirk do some <laughs> serious flip-flop work. Yes. <laughs> coming in. Yes. <laughs> that was extensive work that happened there. Yes. <laughs> you mean in the ADR? He was flip-flopping away there? The <laughs> Did he? No, I'm asking. Was he Was he at the ADR? No, he was, oh, not, oh, he was saying, not there. You said watching him on the screen. Okay, yeah, I was just gotcha. watching him on the screen. Gotcha. Although yeah, I, yeah. I think he should have to come in and do flip-flop yeah, work yeah, while yeah. I'm do doing the foley. ADR. <laughs> oh, my God. Flip-flop please flip-flop make, we'll do every, please just call him and tell him we'll he has flip-flop. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say in the ADR, did you have, did they have crutches for you or did you have just hop around? No, you just, you just hop around okay, and then gotcha. there's other times when you have to like run or jump just to sound, um, out of breath and, uh, the, the, and also to remember scenes where you're nervous, um, because you're, um, where your character's supposed to be nervous because your your vocal cords constrict and your pitch is higher. Yeah. Yes. If anyone cares, my voice teacher in school told me once, the voice you wake up with mm-hmm. is your natural voice. Really? really? That lower, deep tone, whatever oh. your lowest is. Everything after that is internal and external things causing you anxiety or, or nerves and stressing them out, which is kind of a horrible thing to think about oh, how wow. much different your voice is than that. I, I hate wow. this information. <laughs> oh my god! So you're supposed to see like how close can you get back to that? Wow! Mm. Interesting. There you go. That's that. See, you learn oh, something. Oh yeah! Well, if I get pulled amazing. over by a police officer, I'm like an upper upper octave. See, the trick is just don't get pulled over. Just oh, just, yeah. just, yeah, just drive like a maniac and easy. get away from them no matter oh. what. <laughs> Very yeah, easy. Yeah. There's that. There's yeah. that. Um, well, we already started talking about that, but that that whole teaser, which is just one big long scam. Mm. Uh, I, I know on this podcast before we've talked about wanting more scams, and and we really got a big one. Can you talk about the genesis of this scam? Like how did how did this come about? 
Uh, well, uh, we knew coming in from the previous episode that we had to have this this thing that's related to these bank plans. Um, we also knew that we wanted it to be something that Kim came up with right. or thought of. Um, it went through some different versions. Actually, we had sort of a previous version that was a little more. It was a little more straightforward. Actually, it was you know. Kim is not on crutches. She's just, you know, normal. And Jimmy's playing kind of a, kind of a sleazy guy who hits on her, and and she, she kind of ends up elbowing him, and and that, you know, it was that's he ends up bleeding on the plans. We had this sort of whole thing, um, but uh, it didn't feel as fun to do because Jimmy was playing a real schmuck jerk kind of douchebag guy and so the feeling was it just it just it didn't have the sort of a playful quality and we wanted to there to be a playful quality in the idea of maybe having this sort of you know hapless brother you know with the breast milk but then the question of that is like what mother is not going to go sprinting to her right. child right. Um, because sort of the original idea was that he runs off to go get the baby and and she's on the crutches and we were like but no she would she would go running and then it became sort of funny to sort of have that moment um and then uh it just sort of kept kind of spinning out from there um and became the the uh what it is now um which i you know vince had a lot of really great ideas of how to play this out and and sort of jimmy's character the sort of washed out burnout brother I think really came from from Vince that kind of conception of him as like you know the Jimmy Buffett that's right lifetime fan I got to I got to uh, text Jimmy Buffett to ask him if we could use the shirt which was very cool that is amazing and he charges half price right he charges half price God bless him we love Jimmy Buffett that was a that was a kind of was a fun episode the whole thing was fun to shoot and with that was we shot that uh, whole sequence inside the offices of the Albuquerque Tribune. The oh. newspaper, the local Albuquerque newspaper. Are you telling me you yeah. did not go all the way to Lubbock to shoot this? We did not. And it's interesting. It's, we're, we're, it's few and far between that we get to see Kim actually participating in these scams. From you know, There's only been a handful of them. And it's, it's always fun to see the way she has this, this push and pull with the scam life. And, and uh, talk a little bit about, I, I don't know what your process is as far as justifying some of the thing, the scams that they do versus like, do you have a definition yourself for what is a, doing things for good and using their powers for good, basically, as Kim says? Well, I do think that Kim is playing a very dangerous game of <laughs> defining yeah. what what is an okay scam versus what is not okay and what is, uh, she started that process, I think, in season one and then definitely in season two where the world was asking her to grapple with is legal and illegal the same thing as good and bad? And is that the same thing as immoral and moral? And um, many of the people in her life uh, s- jumped categories. <laughs> um, and right. um, mm. and I, I think that was huge, uh, par- a, a huge part of the development in um, how much I believed that Kim would find Jimmy to be her closest confidant because at that time he was the least duplicitous person in her life while being labeled a con man. As far as the scams, yeah, she keeps she keeps redrawing these lines and these boundaries, um, and is incredibly compartmentalizing about it, which is something that I I can understand that in different areas of my life, um, and uh, I'm still sorting out uh, whether or not this is a part of her that she regularly suppresses when not doing it. <laughs> Or something that is arising anew, and um, I have my own thoughts about how I play that, but what's really fun to play on this show is uh, there's no solidified point B, so I get to grow and change as a character and sort of be surprised at your own behavior, which I also find very kind of human. There's clearly a comfort level and a at least rudimentary skill level with it that makes me think she has witnessed, if not participated been some part of that in her in her lifetime and she's also not um repulsed by jimmy being from that so 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a moment to moment negotiation that right. I play when I'm playing Kim. Right. She's, she's often. Drawn I don't think to she it. wants to get called on it too closely, which is why it's hard to answer. Right. <laughs> well, that look you give him when he calls you on it in the in the right. is great. Yeah. Oh, you haven't even seen it yet, right? I haven't, but I remember playing that, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. remember knowing so clearly that feeling of being called on your own shit yeah, yeah, yeah. and not wanting to admit it but you're so defiant you're looking just at him like oh yeah, yeah don't yeah. you get more defiant when yeah, you're yeah. clearly yeah. wrong yes yes yeah. <laughs> you dig yeah. in yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but it's it's fun and i also know that she's a bit um she's become increasingly rudderless this season in um having things taken away that i think she pegged herself to um uh and uh, yeah, there's definitely an exploration of who who is who is she going on with herself. I think it seems to me. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. It's because you guys are the other people to do it for sure. But it seems to me like the the difference or a key difference between the sort of scams because this is the second scam in a row that has been Kim's, you know, brainchild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems right. like her scams don't. Always, don't really have a, a human cost. Nobody really, no human being really gets hurt from the the Judge hmm. Munsinger letter scam. I mean, they're just trying to sort of maneuver a way around the the ADA. Right. And with this scam, also nobody really gets hurt. They get to build a little bit bigger bank. Nobody dies. Nobody loses their job. Probably. So, but that's but it's for her own yeah. ego. I mean, this one is not very altruistic. <laughs> oh, yeah. for sure. I think that's, I mean, I think that's, it's interesting because I think it's a, yes, technically. I mean, you know, the first scam that she sort of engineered was in, oh gosh, what was it, season two? The one with Dale, you know, mm-hmm. where they're oh, at the bar and, and they, yeah. you know, they scammed the guy. She didn't cash that check. But if she had, you know, he would have been out of, of that money. And it's right. interesting because I think it is easy to say, oh, no one really got hurt. Um, but, you know, Jimmy doesn't generally do scams where until sort of in this season where people get, like, physically hurt. You know, right. it's it's really, and, and especially with someone like Dale, it's sort of comeuppance. Um but I think that that's an easy line to kind of say to yourself, like, oh, you oh, know, totally. I'm just people change. in blue collar crimes all the bureaucracy. time. Bureaucracy, there's no one getting hurt. Yeah, it's bureaucracy, and it, it seems yeah. silly, but it's still taking a shortcut. Um, and and it's choosing still, who deserves yeah. to be duped or be a patsy is a, a very dangerous game to be playing with your yeah. own conscience. Sure. I think slippery yeah. slope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This um, one is probably the most victimless because it literally is just switching blueprints. Um, but you know, if somebody, if anybody ever questioned it, and you know that lady's signature is on that stamp, then yeah, she might get questioned. But this probably is kind of the most victimless of the ones we've actually, seen. Actually, the yeah, lady I mean, feels like she did a nice thing, so she yeah. feels good she about herself. She does. She feels good about herself. Which is also kind of a jerk move to, like, make this woman, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, and manipulate her emotionally. Vince and Marceline, like, negotiating, because yeah. I had asked you, how good is she at the scam? How good of an actor is she? Should I, be all winking? Really Should I be really at good. all winking in that, like, I'm not very good at playing this part? Um, that wouldn't and have been you any said, fun. Yeah, you yeah. said, I don't think that's as fun, and I think you were totally right. Yeah. And so as soon as that, as soon as I was released from thinking that it needed to be um, comedically hampered in any way, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better way to put it, um, then I was like, well, the best way to do this would be to ally with this woman, to make her think that by the end of this, she's fist pumping that I get to switch the thing. Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, yeah. like, she's thrilled with herself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say that the cost is Kim. Like, yeah. what, what are you oh, doing? Yeah. <laughs> Very slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this is an interesting scam too because Jimmy nobody told her to do this nobody no. she's not solving a terrible problem no, it's not like she's going to lose her job if the bank doesn't get expanded no she's I find doing it to be this... one of the most questionable is pure ego to well, like look like you saved the day well there's it's probably the fun it's, too I, it's interesting because yeah. at the end of the last episode Jimmy says okay you know we're never going to do that again mm-hmm. uh we're never we're never doing anything like that again. That's all behind us. And then Kim says, "Let's do it again." Right. And boy, there's so many reasons I can think of. 
that, that and I, one of the things that's fun about the show, I hope, is that you 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 kind of lean forward and try to understand why the characters and yeah. the audience you yeah. you have to figure out why right. why your characters. But to, to, uh, to me, one of she's got a lot of reasons for doing it. some of his yes. ego and some of it's just she wants to keep the good feeling going because yes. she and Jimmy are so close at the end of eight. Um, and it's 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 such a it's such an intimate mm-hmm. uh, there's such such intimacy between them, I, I think more than we've ever seen before really. Right. And right. and is, does she want to is does that come? What is the relationship between Jimmy and Kim's feelings for each other, and doing this stuff? Right. I, I I'm not sure that we know the answer to that, but Kim see certainly that's one reason I could think of. Definitely. In addition to you know pure ego. It's like having a baby to save the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's... Um, as, as we, as who hasn't done that? Who hasn't done that? Yeah, babies make everything easier and better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Jenny, it's your husband listening to we're either gonna, It's very we're either, dark. We're either going to break up it's or like we're going to buy a house like, together. It's like going back to... like taking a vacation and then it's time to go home from the vacation but it's like you're better when you're on vacation so it's like saying let's just stay let's just stay here right you know but some of the I mean the way the scenes are written and we approach them I felt like they're not totally conscious decisions, though. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're not, they weren't mm-hmm. always, um, I don't think she drove up in the, the, the episode where she says, let's do it again. I don't think she drove up there knowing it. And we had mm-hmm. that discussion on set that day of um, what did she drive up here thinking she was going to say versus what does she say? Um, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. I do think it's connective tissue that she's seeking. Mm-hmm. I also think there's an element to it that's a high. There's mm-hmm. something that feels certain about that while her, the rest of her life feels uncertain. And I've said this to you guys before. There's also there's some element to her that feels like um, somebody who's sober who can't stop hanging out with users. That's well put. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's clearly some addiction quality to that. To like, can I just can I just smell the cigarettes? <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, that's been it's been fun. It's been fun, and I I do hope that the I, I agree. I feel like the audience will feel more participatory in that she is trying to figure it out as fast as she can, and sometimes she's ahead of herself. Even she can't figure it out. I, you know, it's it, it's it's I mean, it's such an interesting conversation to have, and sometimes I feel like I almost wish that none of this was public because you know yeah. we, we're we're telling the we're kind of telling the audience something about what we think is going right. on with the characters, yeah. but but I think the way you guys it, it, the, the sum the the sum of the parts is greater the sum is greater than any of the individual right. parts, and the way you guys play it and the way the directors present it. Uh, there's a depth to these characters that goes beyond uh, the scheme that we come up with, as mm-hmm. good as it is. I'm really proud of it. All, all the, the psychology that we put into it in the writer's room, I think, gets deepened a- as we go. It's sort of, you don't necessarily want to explain it. You want, you'd love for people to discover it discover their own yes. version. I try not to overly define exactly what my intentions were. You probably feel the same about music. I mean, like, I like things to be open to interpretation. I like yeah, the complexity of people's reactions. Yeah, I mean, what's so great about what you, all the stuff that you guys have ever made is that it, it has that ability to be open to interpretation and so that every viewer is going to filter it through their own experience and through their own lens without having it shoveled yeah. in their face about how it should be presented to them and your well your music speaks to that as well and that's um as a fan of your music on breaking bad before i got to saul and i've heard your music on preacher as well i think one of the things that you do so well is not um dictate to the audience how they're supposed to feel in the scene (laughs) (laughs) which goes along with that (laughs) and it's much much easier to do on a show where that premise is is carried throughout through Mm. every aspect of how it's shot and written and performed and i mean i just think that's that's just a creatively better way to make TV and film. Yeah. It's just, just it, it broadens that experience for for every viewer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting the idea of intent versus interpretation. And you know, I think I I know what Peter's saying about not wanting to talk about that. I always find it interesting to hear kind of where the you know creative 
people who made a thing were coming from and sort of their intent because, you know, obviously your own experience informs everything. And so it's always interesting because it might open something that I hadn't necessarily thought of, but it doesn't invalidate what my interpretation of a scene was, you know? And so I always find, like, Ray has a different read um, on Kim than I do a lot of the time, but they're complimentary. Maybe a lot of the time. Not a lot of the time, but <laughs> but like they're complimentary in the same of like right. we're kind of we're sort of in and the same the space, but yeah, the specifics yeah. are different. And Agreed. so I always find talking about character really interesting with you because you know I know both of us try not to be like, well, it's definitely this. It's no, more like no, my right. instinct is this, yeah, and true. I think that comes when it with mm-hmm. the audience interpretation as well. Yeah. That's also in line with something that happens, and I know we're going to be jumping around in this episode, but that's something that culminates in that scene, that dynamite rooftop scene between oh, yeah. Kim and Jimmy. It's a scene, and I've said this before on the podcast and just in life, that one of the things I like, the scenes I love the most about this show are arguments between two or more people where both, where everybody is right, right. Mm-hmm. Where it's not one person is just in the wrong. It's two people arguing as passionately as they can, and they're both right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like the most real and heartbreaking argument to have because nobody can. You can't just say, you know what, that person is t- is is totally wrong. They're coming from the wrong perspective. And is is that a more challenging thing as a writer and as an actor? Is it more challenging to play something like that where everybody is there, there where everybody's coming from is respected in the in the same way where what they're I think saying it's is better to act it if it's not a landslide and nobody's like the actual idiot in it because um, that scene's sort of over the second it starts. So right. I think it's better to act those. Scenes. You mean if, if you're playing a character that has an argument? That both that... people have a point. Both yeah, yeah, people yeah. have a valid point and a valid stance yeah, in what yeah. they're saying. Um, I mean, certainly there are scenes in stories that um, an absolute <laughs> outright shaming is necessary for the story, but I do <laughs> like where there's um, where there's points of view. I mean, for me, it was more fun in that scene knowing that uh, as Kim, he does, I know he has a point. That no matter what, uh, everything I'm saying is right. That to boil down my feelings for you um, comes down to just having an office with me and to discount everything I've done is uh, terrible. But at the same time, it's like when your partner tells you that you've done something to hurt them and you argue why you should be allowed to do that thing. You should be allowed to do that thing, but you still have to acknowledge that it hurts them. Right. And it makes him feel like I'm passing judgment on him and he's right. Right. (laughs) And I won't acknowledge it. Um, Likewise, my compartmentalizing of my own scams, I won't acknowledge. And she decides to argue what she's right about more than address what she's wrong about. Well, that's mm-hmm. the typical argument, though. That's it, what it people is, do. And that's that felt human. Do. That's so for forensics me, it's, 101. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for yeah, me, it's yeah. a thousand times better to, yeah. to, to craft that argument. Is it harder to write, making sure that both people have points? Um, I mean, I don't necessarily approach it as like both people have points. It's right. more writing it, it's more like what are their positions and just not judging like them like not judging those positions just being Mm. like this is where Jimmy's coming from this is where Kim is coming from and how would that actually play out it's interesting because I always wonder this for actors especially because while you have the whole story and all the characters in your head I mean you're really so much of your your life and what you're doing is this specific person this specific Mm -hmm. point of view whereas for the writers we have to keep everybody in our head and and be able to really empathize with each point of view mm-hmm. and not kind of fa- like favor one over the other and sort of understand all of them and mm-hmm. where they're coming from, which can be kind of interesting because they're all different people, so they all have different perspectives. Um, so writing the scene, I think going through it, I think I may have actually um, – empathized initially a little more with Kim Mm -hmm. and the feeling of like how can you say that when all I've done is support you and then it was sort of discovering Jimmy's point of view of like your initial reaction was to not believe that I was sincere like that's the that's the thing that just came out Mm -hmm. and that hurt and so it was sort of discovering like yeah that's a good point (laughs) and kind Mm -hmm. of going through it from there um but yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing to hold a lot of people in your head at the same time mm-hmm. and try yeah. to like service kind of all yeah. of them without 
favoring or punishing anybody, mm-hmm. you know? And I know Bob felt that way in the scene was that I just, I just basically admitted, Kim just basically admitted that he wasn't sincere. I yeah, feel, absolutely. I feel firmly that that is not at all what she was saying. Right. Yeah. Or and, giving away on her face. Yeah. Um, but I know that it's underlying, you know, uh, subconscious and people yeah. reading things. And, and not, I think even writing it, it's open to interpretation for me. Like, I, I yes, think I, why, when it, I just I saw the scene yeah. in ADR, yeah. I was like, oh, oh OK, why? OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you start to see yeah, yeah, other yeah. things. It, it's an interest. It's interesting to me because this this scene, in my mind anyway, is sort of bookended by a scene that Jenny wrote earlier in the season, in episode episode six, when Kim tells Jimmy, uh, I'm thinking about taking this job at Schweikert, and that right. means that means that we wouldn't have Wexler McGill may not may not be in the cards. Right. And and Jimmy's response to that is to front. Yeah. And and to to front and tell her it's fine and then go and try to find a way make it make make his feather his nest so beautifully that mm-hmm. uh, that she won't be able to resist it. Right. Uh, you know, so, and, right. and to, that was such an interesting, I think that was a particularly tough scene. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was a particularly tough scene because both the characters weren't being really completely on. They weren't really being totally honest with each other. They Correct. were trying to protect themselves and protect each other. And in this scene, what I find fascinating about this one is that Jimmy comes in hot. He's angry. He's not. Kim didn't do anything to, right. to stimulate this moment. It's just he feels. It seems to me after that that's he feels after he's been turned down and they say he's insincere, which mm-hmm. is not a judgment. Which is the judgment that he's afraid of. Mm-hmm. He comes up to Kim and he's he's so hot under the collar. He doesn't have uh, the restraint or that that presence of mind to see her for see her intentions for what they are or who right. she really is. He's just, I, I, I hate to use therapeutic terminology because I don't think these characters are therapeutic, but he's projecting was this, was what, what I, what the way I learned to say, to think of it. Absolutely. He's just, he's just yeah. throwing. And I felt throwing. that yeah. in that moment when and he it, turns and is like, okay, I think I'll punch you about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm so mad. I'm so <laughs> mad. I'm mad you're here. Yeah. I'm mad you're here. And then all the stuff, yeah. all the stuff, all the stuff. And that part that is totally undeserved. Yeah. In but my it's, opinion. it's, but it's, right. it's, I, th- these are two people who, who like to, they like to, to take their feelings and some of their thoughts and storm in a trunk under the bed, right? Uh, and and, uh, and and you know, it's eventually. I think we all do. At least I know I do. That's one of the things I love about them so much because yeah. they don't. They both want the relationship to work, and they're both trying to keep their private thoughts private, which is something adults have to do. Mm-hmm. Adults can't say you can't say everything that crosses your mind, otherwise. Right. You can't live with another yeah, person. We'd all be alone. <laughs> Vince, when you're directing them, do you have? What do you do with the point of view then? Do you? How does that work in a scene? Are you supposed to think that the scene is a particular person's? Not in a not in a moment like that. It really is, you know. And I I, I very much thought you were. I'm not just saying that because you're here. <laughs> I because I, I just in that moment I thought you were very much. Uh, Kim was very much in the right. And uh, and uh, Jimmy was very much in the wrong, but I understood. I don't think you have to agree as a director or whatever, or even as a. I, I mean, what Jenny was saying a minute ago is, is very true. You have to take the God view as much as possible when you're writing these kind of scenes. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't have to so much as a director. You. It's easier as a director not to. It's easier to choose sides as a director than as the writer. But. Uh, just as long as you understand where people are coming from, uh, these two characters using this as an example, you don't have to. I understood where Jimmy was coming from. He was just he was just lashing out, mm-hmm. and you were the most convenient nearest target. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't I didn't think the whole time. Hmm, that's a good point. Oh, he's got a good point. No, he's got a good. <laughs> he's, he's just kind of being an asshole. Yeah. But um, and and a bit irrational. But that's what emotion and frustration. Right can do to you it can do it to the best of us it can mm-hmm. do it. albert schweitzer could could have a moment like this you know so it made sense to me uh and that's all that mattered is is it making it seem authentic making it feel like real people behaving in an authentic uh human 
way. So right. it all worked. I mean, it, for me, I didn't, that didn't bother me. I didn't need to, I didn't need to agree with him just as much as I agreed with you or anything. Or make one person look sympathetic and one person not or anything like that. It's funny you mentioned that because we talked about, I mean, you're going to play um, a sweet song during my, all of my stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> funny you should say that because we did talk in the spotting session about trying some music in the lead up mm-hmm. to that scene on the rooftop. And I, I defer to you guys because, because we decided I think wisely not to use it, but I think one of the reasons it didn't work, um, in testament to all the things you've been saying about keeping the balance of the, of the, the viewpoints, is that it was too pro Kim. Mm. Interesting. And you used it, too it much felt, kazoo. I did use too much kazoo, <laughs> yeah. which is my re, my recurring instrument for Ray's character. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be true. <laughs> now that's an interesting. I'm just, you know, I mean, I, I, that's, that's an interesting when, take when I was, on it. When yeah. I was writing it, I felt like. That it was a worthy experiment, but no matter how I was trying to get us into that scene, um, the score was going to tilt the perspective one direction or another, hmm. which I knew wasn't going to be the right answer. That's a very there. astute uh, assessment of it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't have put my finger on it. Now, as soon as you said that, that makes sense. Happy to tell you why you don't like what I do. <laughs> <laughs> we love what you do. We no, love, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. This is why these are this, worthy the experiments, so and you don't know these no, things. No, no, you got to do it. You got to Until you try them half the time, um, even for me, just because it's not until I'm doing it that I realize the, the, the impact that the music will have. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's How do those cues point. start for you? I mean, I know when we're sitting in the, in the spotting session, and a lot of, I mean, I, I see... Uh, maybe this is too uh, observational of me, but I, I, I maybe I should pay more attention to other things. But I some when when you'll have us go back and you'll say, okay, I think I'm in here. I, you can almost start to see the sort of math of the music going across your face. At least I, that that's I might be maybe I'm projecting, but where how does it start for you musically? Because I'm always amazed by the ability to create music to something that's already there and create something that's complementary or actually in in as as often the case here enhances it starts with you chris actually uh, well <laughs> that's picture the, editors that's in the general correct but, answer. but 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 you <laughs> uh, in, in a way that you probably don't in necessarily realize that you're doing but you uh, as you are cutting you are cutting to a rhythm always whether you're aware of it or not, and we have we've talked about this on many, many podcasts. If in the past, for those of, who have listened to this back from Breaking Bad too, we don't use temp music, so it's not that you've cut to a piece of music, but you'd be amazed at how defined a tempo um, a, a great picture editor's cuts are already. Uh, so actually, the first thing that I do when I write music has nothing to do with music. It's about finding the tempo that you already created in the picture. And sometimes that, with a lot of experience, I get to it pretty quickly now. But, but sometimes it could take me half an hour of just listening to a metronome against the scene. There's no music involved really? at all. You're, you're, and you're adjusting it constantly to make it click. The tempo, yeah. Wow. wow. Absolutely. And, and amazingly, a lot of times, I'd say 80% of the time, one tempo for an entire scene will hit everything you need to hit, whether they intended it that way or not. Once I find it, it's just amazing. It locks in. Really? You told me that at the premiere, and it, <laughs> totally it, it shattered that. my reality. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been, been trying to put the pieces back together ever since. You know, not to take a, and not to take any away from. I love that. Not to take yeah, any away from what Chris cool. does, but, but it's, it's, I think it's it's there's another layer of complexity too, which is that so much of the editing tempo in a lot of scenes is is at least in reaction to or created with the the performance because hmm. the performance yeah. the, the, the yeah. an actor especially a highly skilled actor is really much easier to cut because the moments you can just see where the moments begin and end and it's hmm. very it's interesting to try to cut someone who's less experienced as an actor or just not as focused because the moments are mushy you say, oh, like there, oh, so there's, a con- lift there's a conclusion. There's a conclusion that moment. Now I'm going to go to the next. No, it doesn't huh. quite conclude. It spills over. Okay, now it's in. Nope, nope. Now they're starting something new. And it's and and it's a uh, there's a there's a a, a crispness to a uh, a performance like yours 
Uh, that that makes it more fun to cut, I would say. I don't know if that's fair to say, Chris. Oh, oh absolutely. Hey, apologies for the interruption, though I, I guess I'm mostly interrupting myself here uh, and Peter. So anyway, apologies for the interruption. Just seemed like as good a time as any to take a little trip in the Wayback Machine. When Kelly was in the office uh, for the 404 podcast, she had just seen this episode, 409, for the first time, and she had some very enthusiastic things to say about Ray's performance. It's so good, but let me tell you, and I had to text girlfriend, right? I mean, this afternoon, I texted girlfriend, and I said, whoa, girl. That's how I wrote it on the text. Girl, <laughs> I just saw 409. Oh, my God, girl, this is so good. And she texted me back, and she's like, oh, I haven't seen it. Is it really good? Oh, my God, that's, you know, it was awesome. You're about, who are you talking about, Jenny or Ray Seahorn? Ray Seahorn. Uh-huh. Oh, there we go. Ray Seahorn. I was yeah, like, girl. She's great. She's I spelled the G-I-I-I-I-I-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-L-L. She's I'll be like, girl, are you coming to work out Heather, did you write that one? No, Jenny, no I, Jenny wrote, Jenny wrote I that wrote one. This one. Man, because I don't have the ones with the credits, so I don't know oh, who okay. did what. I don't know who directed. I'm like, I try and guess, but I can't guess. It's so good. I'm telling y'all, did y'all knocked it out nine, the nine, park? Nine was directed by the man right there, Vince Gilligan. Girl, let me tell you. Should have known. Oh my God! Let me Number tell nine. you that. See, I can't say anything. When we finish this. I'm gonna say, Oh my God, that was some awesome shit. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It was great, and it was ten, right? Is that where we kill everybody and the break, and the Breaking Bad starts? Yeah, yeah we kill Mandel, Ray, and everybody else that doesn't everybody. make it a Breaking Bad. Kill, kill Walter White. Oh, kill, that's kill what, okay, that episode. Wait, did I yeah. give it away? Yeah. Did I just give the whole thing away? It was awesome. I should have known that you did that one. I should have known. But then that that's also one of the things that contributes to to the tempo hmm. and the words on the page. Even you can take it all mm -hmm. the way back. No, I don't. I think that's a bridge too far. <laughs> no, you can't. Different far. scenes have different music. Thank have a different you. musicality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I do think about it. Yeah, I, I start. Yes. I I don't like to listen to music before I go on. But I think about the musicality of the dialogue. That's really, this is good. I'm <laughs> learning a lot here. And also, and you've said this before on other podcasts, but uh, bears repeating, you, you don't read the scripts ever. No, I don't. Which I think is very interesting. And I think it's very wise. Really? Yeah. She just doesn't no. care for the show. I just, yeah. <laughs> Do you watch the show? <laughs> well, that's, it's exactly that, actually. I'm so fortunate to be last in the process mm -hmm. that I get to sit down and watch these episodes essentially done hmm. like a fan. For the most part, everything's done except the music and the. You know, what would be tarnished by reading the scripts, or an I, obstacle? Well, I would view. I would have uh, interpretations of how I had envisioned how it was going to look mm. in my brain that didn't come to be true. I see. And it would would no doubt be vastly improved, but uh, it would be different. Right. Oh, and, okay. and 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 I and I might whether I no matter how much I tried to not do this. I would probably be already thinking about some musical idea like, for something that would be totally no longer stuff, applicable. Yeah, okay. It makes perfect sense. I, when I first heard it, I thought, what, what? It makes perfect sense because the script, as hard as we writers work on the scripts, the script is not the movie. It's right. just not. Right. Some things are there. Some things are different. Yeah. Some things are better. Yeah. Some things are worse. But it's just, it's just plain. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like I'm going to watch the apple. Right. When, in fact, it's an orange I need to be scoring. Mm -hmm. And you know. so many creative decisions have been made since the script. Right. You know, I mean, how it was shot, how it was lit, how it was acted. All those things impact the mood and the flavor of, the, of what we're watching and therefore are going to affect what I need to do yeah. musically. And so to, to have that, I mean, there's obviously nothing wrong with reading scripts, but I just, for me personally, um, having done this now for as long as I've done it, I'm just, I'm visually motivated and I'm inspired also by all the creative decisions that have been made before me, how it was cut, how it was acted. And those, those are the things that excite me and get me revved up to write the music. Yeah. 
Do you watch all the episodes before you decide on music for one of them, so that it's like like an L, like a great LP? It has its own arc, <laughs> one to ten as well. That would be a wise way to do it if we could do it that way, but we okay. can't because because I'm starting long before the last okay, one okay. is is finished. Mm. Um, I bet it works out that way. But anyway, in fact, I often these these guys have learned over the yeah, <laughs> and 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 I want to be surprised too. I think right. you know and. and these guys have learned over the years now not to spoil too much about future episodes unless, and I always ask uh, in spotting sessions, unless there is a thread in something that we're writing music for that is going to recur. Ah, uh, yeah. Right, and we, we always do talk about that or oh, is okay. something that we need to think about uh, some scene that we're going to bookend and we know that the score for this moment is going to return mm -hmm. in a, you know, a modified way later. Those are the things that you have to think about a little longer term mm -hmm. but on these shows your guys' shows you know everything and everyone is constantly evolving which is why we don't use a lot of themes that recur we don't do a lot of we do no instances unless it's very marked uh, of music returning uh, another time because it just doesn't work. It's no longer applicable. Everything has moved on. The whole story's moved on. All these mm -hmm. characters are not in the same place as they were even two seasons or even two episodes ago. Mm -hmm. Never mind the season before. So, okay. it's it's a constantly fluid uh, environment with the music. Did you have any ideas about Werner's storyline, like when he because he's introduced really early in the season and becomes such an important character in his relationship with Mike? Did you know that he was going to be more significant? Did that play at all into your early work with him? And I did, and I, and I didn't, but I didn't know necessarily that um, the score for the show would follow him as closely as it does. But it actually has. In fact, in this episode, I think every piece of original music in this score has. In some way relates to Werner. Hmm. Yeah, okay. It yeah. really follows that storyline. We're we're really that, and you know, I love it when the music gets to, you know, grab onto a storyline and and evolve with it and tell it. And um, that's really true in this episode. Um, and yeah, Werner, um, a, such a neat character you guys came up with, so and great. so 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 layered and, and interesting in that. Uh, and you know, I'm 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 the layman here to talk about this stuff, but he's an adversary in a weird way for Mike, right. but he's not a bad guy no, right. in any sense well of the word. We, right. we love him yeah. and he's played so wonderfully and, and you, he, you get such a warmth for him and you're rooting for him even when you know um, that, that ultimately uh, by the end of this episode, he's going to cause Mike such an enormous headache, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? See, I thought you were going to do a lot of uh, 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 tuba and uh, Gordon music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You went a different way. The oompa music for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for <laughs> you know, Speaking of Werner, Vince, how, how did, so approaching that warehouse, which we've already, we've discussed a little bit on previous episodes about just the capturing the enormity of that location. How do you, not just there, but in other places, when you find these, come into these locations that have already been shot, you always manage to find some new way to shoot it. We were just watching the episode yesterday or two days ago, and I was I was struck by the different way that you shot the warehouse than anybody else had shot it. Oh, good! I'm glad it seemed that way. And to yeah, that you were finding those new angles on things. But the one that stuck out in my head the most was when uh, Mike and Warner were sort of in the viewing area, and there's that shot where their heads are kind of just you know, visible above this. I really like that shot. Oh, good. But nice do you, nice. when you come into those places, are you looking, are you consciously looking for new ways to shoot? Absolutely. And, and the only way to do that is to ask, uh, to see all the footage that everyone shot before, because all the shots, uh, that it might walking in cold to that location, uh, which is an amazing location that, that Christian Diaz de Bedoya and his location crew found. What an amazing location. What an amazing Set that was my my first thoughts of all the shots I would get had already been gotten at that point, so <laughs> so I, I I make it a real point to to look at footage. Sometimes it's only in dailies form at that point, but you guys were real nice to show me footage that had already been shot in there by by the likes of Andrew Stanton. He Andrew had such a great opening shot, uh, re revelatory introductory shot 
uh, with the lights coming on the very first time in his episode of the lights, which is also with Jenny's uh, Jenny's episode as well, where mm-hmm. the lights come on and and uh, Gus uh, and and uh, Mike are real real tiny in the Super frame, small. And, and the and the camera uh, tracks laterally from left to right, uh, showing the uh, one of the trailer homes in the foreground. I was like, man, that's such a great shot. So then you watch all this stuff, and then you say, what can I do that's different? So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, and uh, long story short, just try to compile and catalog everything that's been done before and then try to find a different place to put the camera. Is there, you know, we've we've talked um, on this show, but also on Breaking Bad podcast about Mythbusters sometime, and I know your, your fondness for Mythbusters. Do you, speaking of Mythbusters, would that really work? Do you think with the uh, we're gonna have to, to, try, to try flash on, we're gonna have to try it on MythBusters? <laughs> I maybe nah. which part? What do you what part are you asking? To, so what, the the way Werner uh, escaped is oh, yeah, by yeah. by flashing those cameras and mm-hmm. and creating a you know kind of messing up the the camera. I mean, do you want me to give this away or, or would you? You can, no, you oh. can say I, I I will. I'll just. My asterisk would be, yes, it would have worked if the cameras were manufactured in 1964. Yes, that's true. Oh, really? If they were old tube cameras, it would have zapped them, but good. Ah. Except except back in 1964, there were no handheld lasers. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, uh, you'd, have to use a, you'd have to use a mirror in the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the, that very final shot of the whole episode... Uh, when Mike zaps the uh, the uh, security camera on the edge of the roof, that was a, a composite shot of using the real video camera of Mike pretending to do it. And then I leaned over the edge of the roof and zapped the, uh, the same camera with the handheld uh, laser. And it was so hard to get it. You have to get it perfectly perpendicular to the sensor, to the image sensor. So it was very hard to do, but it made that zappy-looking flare that then was composited in by uh, by by Skip McDonald mm-hmm. uh, and and Chris uh, Chris Mayer. Chris yeah, Mayer. this episode was co-edited by Skip McDonald and Chris Mayer. Chris and uh, Skip, Skip and Chris did a wonderful job. They composited those together, but it didn't hurt the sensor at all. Hmm. Not at all. That's really that's surprising. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think it would have damaged. Yeah, and it it did. This is some yeah. movie magic. <laughs> no, and also the flare. The instant you take the laser away, the flare disappears. So hopefully it's one of those things that's believable when you watch it. You know, and then you know whatever. Hopefully, and we'll see. Yeah, it's like like the like the magnet gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, whatever. The but, lesson yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to break those rules for yeah. drama, and and I think the thing that we try to remember is things like emotional reality, yeah. and you know, yeah. at a certain point. That was a challenging sequence, just because you want Warner to be smart, you want Mike to be smart. You know, there's those are always super yeah. challenging. And you want the guys do. watching the video to be. You don't to want be them smart. being dummies. Yeah. You want yeah. everyone to be smart. That's right. It's a good point. Yeah, so if you make a show, make sure everyone is not smart because then you never have any of these problems. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a, a very show. good point. That that oh, we've We've said that on podcasts before, probably go dating mm-hmm. back to early Breaking Bad podcast. <laughs> it's worth saying again, if you want to be a writer, folks folks listen to this uh, starting their writing careers. It's always easier to make the characters be dumb just to get away with something. Don't ever take that shortcut. Yeah. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible shortcut to take that, you know, you move the plot forward by a character being dumb. Yeah. It just it's just a terrible shortcut. Don't do it. Let's let's split up and we'll find a monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you, yeah. 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 Well, in this this episode, we get to spend some more time with a very smart new character, Lalo. Mm. Oh, we yeah, get to, so we Tony, just met Tony him Dalton. at the end of uh, uh, last week's episode, of episode eight, and uh, going headlong into the world with him and putting him face to face with Gus Fring right away. Can you talk a little bit about putting these two? This 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 sort of long thought about Salamanca, yeah. uh, and then now this guy who's clearly poor Nacho can't catch a break. <laughs> Talk about putting putting him and Gus together, and because nobody threatens Gus Fring, but boy does he come and sit in his office and just very casually and calmly, yeah. not threaten him. He's threatening him. I mean, I think with Lala, you know, we've met many Salamancas and we've met many cartel people from this cartel and you know you always want to kind of bring a different flavor with a new character um 
And I think pretty early on, we liked the idea of being of Lalo being less of a sledgehammer, you know, mm-hmm. because um, T, uh, Hector is definitely more in the sledgehammer mode of let's just kill everybody and then figure it out. And and the cousins are are really they're the actual sledgehammer <laughs> itself. They are, they are the sledgehammer. Um, <laughs> And so we like the idea of someone who's maybe a little a little more canny about things. You know, we also like that he might have a little bit of charm to him. Um, actual charm, not just he a, thinks he's charming. Charm. Yeah, and, and and someone who could meet Gus on more of his, Gus's level, you know, who's a little mm. more thoughtful about what's going into it and doesn't front quite as much. He fronts in a different way, um, but is still, like, evil and, 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 and kind of, like, just as scary as those other guys, which is why you know, when he tells that story to Hector in the you know in the home, it's it's it, it really underlines this character is you know he's just as much of a psychopath as the rest of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so we just sort of had that idea, and then um, I mean Tony came from you know Bialy Thomas, and we did quite a search for this character and. Peter, you can talk more about where he came from. Well, you know, this is an interesting season because we had, um, we knew we had two characters uh, who potentially would come from outside the U.S. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, Werner, of course, uh, Reiner, Reiner Bach, we actually, it's the first actor we actually did end up bringing f- from overseas, which is complicated process and oh, Sony yeah. was very supportive but it meant we had to cast him very early and we knew had to get a work visa. we had to get a work ah. visa it's a very it's a complex process to bring someone someone in uh, and I have a feeling he's going to be working some more <laughs> in English uh, after this but but Tony likewise Tony we, we didn't know where we were going to find Lalo and we were interested in finding uh, a Mexican actor uh, to, to play this part and uh, so we we looked and and Bialy Thomas sent us some wonderful wonderful people ta- tapes from 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 all over and Tony uh, was just he was the perfect combination I think I think we all when we watched we watched actually in this in this room we watched uh, different actors tapes and he is um he's just so charming and funny and there's also he's also smart. And I think that's the other thing is I think that that Gus, Gus Fring, or or even Nacho, Nacho can sort of handle a Salamanca, uh, and Gus Fring has been handling Salamancas ever since we met Gus Fring. Um, but this we need a different flavor of Salamanca, someone who was who was uh, like Jenny says, who's a little bit smarter, who's able to talk to people on their own level, and also I I. I thought it was interesting too and I love the way Tony played him he's got he doesn't tell you exactly what he's after you have to figure it out and that's I think that's when you say a sledgehammer you know a sledgehammer you know what a sledgehammer <laughs> where the sledgehammer is headed you know you can jump out of the way he's not it's not so straightforward uh, and so he's he, he is more of a mind game player and so he's playing a mind game or trying to on Gus Fring, and that was that was I thought that was sort of a fascinating. That was I love the way Jenny wrote that. It's such a fascinating scene because he is so polite and upbeat at the same time <laughs> as at the same time as all the subtext. And Tony played it perfectly, and and you directed yeah. it perfectly. No, Vince. he just he just I didn't. There wasn't a lot of directing with him. I just did it, and he just it was he's. I mean, he, I'm rather he just did it, and I just. Uh, you know, I had a hot dog in one hand and a, you know, <laughs> Dr. Pepper in the other and just said, oh, great, you know, like that. So it was, That's it great. great. That's great. That's the truth. He, he just has, he, it, it's a rare thing that he can smile at someone and it's terrifying. I know. He's, it's and, really and I love, scary. It is. Smiling and I love how effortlessly he goes back and forth between Spanish and English, too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, is, that, is so, that is so much fun to yeah. have somebody that. Uh, with that facility, yeah. and he uses it so well. And yeah, this is—I mean, he's—he's a—I think he's wonderful. I'm, Did you guys I, know his work in Mexico or just from Bialy Thomas? No, and he actually uh, Tony lives. I believe he lives both. He lives he was in certainly, both countries. I right? believe so. I believe he moves back. He moves back and forth pretty seamlessly between the U.S. and Mexico. And he's uh, uh, no, I had I had, and in fact I think this. Is only his second English language production. I think he was in uh, Sense Eight, 
which oh, is wow. which is the net Netflix the Netflix show from the, the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis and uh, and this is this is his second his second. We were just we were just very lucky to get him. Oh wow! I want to ask Ray something because uh, you why are you so adorable? You, you and Bob. Let's talk that too. About it, you guys. Let's do, you and Bob. <laughs> no, you and Bob have this uh, barn burner scene, the Jenny Road, uh, this this rooftop scene, which we've mm-hmm. talked about a little bit. Um, what, oh, I also what, loved the diner scene, which I have not seen oh, yet. Oh. But um, we had to cut it, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Sad. Just for I'm going to spend the rest just, of my time acting out it, the diner it was, scene it was, right now. Yeah, it's because of problems with you. That's it. Just, uh, that's fair. That's fair. You kept. You had this weird thing with one eye. Kept doing this thing. We had to cut around it. We okay, tried to digitally fix it. And uh, we cut the whole thing. But but no, you you have this scene. I guess it's probably. I'm guessing it's probably like a, a, it's like a five it's like a five page scene up on the roof. Yes. Where you guys are unleashing on each other mm-hmm. and and and, it, and it's it's amazing. What what did you do before you arrived? I mean, did you, did you just did you just what you know, was Kim you, doing? Or yeah, what no, did, you, what did I do as you, an actor Ray Seahorn? Did you just you know just oh wait? Did you plot down the makeup you chair and the avoid Bob who wants to make the argument prior to even getting to set about how he's right in the scene? Yes. I, did, I did notice that. I did really? notice that. Really? I, I, I just like, I figured I'd leave you two to fork that out. I wanted off and had another. I wanted off and had another. If I called him right now, he would still be arguing that he's right in that scene. But, the, and that there's only one point of view. But why do you guys have to agree on who's right? We don't. Okay. And I tell him that. Okay. Good. We, we have a we have a uh, we have a good time um, with that, with him pestering me and me telling him to be quiet. Um, no, we, uh, he's fine. no, we we because we re- we rehearse ad nauseum and we like to and we like to talk about the scene and we're big nerds. But um, but he did feel he he just felt passionate about it and I felt equally passionate about my side. So I was like, yeah. well, this is great. Then that makes for a wonderful scene. Um, but uh, for me, it was just to remind myself that scene is um, is. Uh, the epitome or I guess the best example you could have for don't play the end of a scene so for me it was like not don't go there going like oh this is my yelling scene or this is the scene where I like lose my shit on um, on Jimmy uh, same as episode two with with my scene with Hamlin um, you have to go there to and, and with what you came to do which in that scene is to sort out the facts and then Kim is very much a, uh, much a fixer. She's yeah, he's the emotional solver. person. She's a problem solver. Please mm-hmm. tell me how I can spackle this. What is happening? Um, and she's trying to get information and she can't get it. And uh, trying every tactic to do that. Um, calm down. What? Uh, give me some details. What is this? What is that? And then he turns on her. And it's about sorting that out and having the intelligence to know that, oh, okay, I'm in the punching bag. And he just won't stop. And she gets pushed. So... That was what I just had to remind myself. It's like, there's nothing, don't think about the end of the scene and don't think, don't categorize this scene as a big argument scene. It's mm-hmm. not until it is. And there is a way to do, there, there's a version of that scene where he doesn't push her buttons. And we, we don't, ha- I mean, if it were written differently, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could go in there presuming that at any moment this will be over. And I think uh, most people, in that scene, most humans in that predicament would have hoped that they didn't say everything they said. I think both of them wish that argument had been over two sentences earlier, mm-hmm. um, because then you can't put that stuff back in the bottle. So yeah. that's how I, that's how I went. I, I understood very much why. And you know, we discussed about like things that I think he may have had a point of view. But as far as Kim, I don't think she consciously was um, avoiding things. I think she was reacting and and Bob's so great and we have such a good time with each other that honestly you do your homework and you go there and um, talk to Jenny the writer and talk to Vince and then together it's really just about reacting it really is the perfect place to just react is in a scene like that for you what's for you what's I'm sorry sorry, what's the difference between take one like or take one like you take one you've rehearsed the it rolls Vince rolls rolls on Probably a wide shot or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's maybe the, I watch. What maybe is, I don't. What is the? Maybe he watches. Maybe he doesn't. What's the difference? Yeah. What happens during the court? Because you guys shot. I'm not giving it. It took a few hours to shoot it. Uh-huh. What's the? How does the? How does it change for you as you as you go through three hours of shooting this five minute scene? Um. 
to be honest, often the f uh, it, when you're using a location you've never used that ha has any kind of um, extenuating circumstances or ex extreme things about it, like a rooftop, windy. Uh, people watching from people all sides, watching literally. often yeah. the first take is about yeah. oh crap I uh, and this is embarrassing to admit but there's things that come up where you're like I didn't think about how I might have to yell to be heard I, I had thought about the scene as saying quite intimate but depending on where he's going to stand and how windy it is up here um, you have to make some alterations and so you'll find some really great nuggets of truth and some th some awesome thing happen things happen where you know I'm looking at Jimmy going like really you're gonna look at me that way while I'm saying this line mm -hmm. <laughs> and it changes my next line and that's super fun and then there's this other back part of your brain that's trying to take in like oh car alarms will be going off during some of this that's what what would Kim do with that yell or just be quiet till it's over um so you find out a lot of stuff that overall though the arc is uh for, for me is um finding different nuances and working with your director and Vince I adore and trust and he's just this giant safety net where you can take risks which is a gift because I know he's not going to ultimately I, I can take a risk and say well what if she was completely out of control from the beginning or what if she was completely suppressed um where is she hurt where is she making a stance what is an emotional response versus a logical response what was planned versus unplanned and you and you try those things and I think we tried a lot of different levels um and uh, it is it is a gift, and I mean that to know that like I can go two hundred percent on everyone because he's going to he's going to protect me and he's going to tell me what's um, what's the not only the most believable but the best for the storytelling here because sometimes you can make a great choice that's not right for this scene right now, mm -hmm. um, and you have to accept that as well. So that's what happens over the arc of it. This is going to sound like I'm making another goofy like trying to be funny again. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> I seriously I seriously because I I. I I am not an actor and never will be an actor, but every now and then I get asked to do a little something. And so much of it is like, how do you remember the, and the, it's all I can do to remember what few little lines I've ever been getting given. Mm -hmm. How do you, in a scene that long, because as you just said, you got to go into it not knowing what the ending is as an mm -hmm. actor, but obviously you do know what the ending is. And not only that, you have to know every single word. Mm -hmm. Speaking of car alarms, I hear a car alarm. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And, and this uh, is how we react to car alarms. Uh, yeah, this is Which exactly. Is, this but is if you have no like. line for that, what would your mm -hmm. character be doing? Just but but how do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, what are you probably. Doing? <laughs> but how do you remember all those lines and yet and yet be you, present to not play be the present scene? so that be present so that you're not conjuring up lines out of your memory you're right. making it seem like you're just literally making them up one but i mean this is this is the magic trick this right. is the this is the the it art is. the art how do you because you're aware as an actor you're aware of the artifice of i can't oh i'm off my mark but yeah, now you're i need, to be, about but now I need to be real in yeah. the way i'm saying it um the i prep to to death because it's your biggest it's your biggest savior because there are certain things that all of you guys do that you've been doing for your whole career that you can do mindlessly. And my lines are not mindless, but I'm talking about uh, how how much can you get them embedded yeah. in you. And okay. the sooner I can get a hold of those lines, the better, because um, there's some part of my brain that's holding on to them while I think about other things. Um, and sometimes you do get lost, especially if you uh, are thinking about a shift or, or trying something out. Suddenly the line will escape you for a second. Um, and that is hard but um I think I to be honest I think theater training helps me with that in particular because you go out every night and do a play eight shows a week for weeks on end and every night I need to go out there and not know that like I killed a guy at the end you know what I mean like I can't wow. start there and yeah, I'm right. thinking a whole new group of people that are getting in the car and I need they and we need to not know where we're going to end up yet. They got to yeah. they have to go on this journey with wow. me and um so I've done that for a long time. That wow. sounds no, I didn't mean like no, no. I'm amazing, but um, I do think that I think the play. I think I literally thing, just like fell in love with you when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 it no, is. It it's a new, it's a new story sense. every time. And yeah. someone asked me once, like, how do you not get bored doing plays over and over? And then later, I had the same question from someone in a show where we did um, many, many takes, and I said. When it's stage, I think about the audience, and when it's camera, I not only think the viewer, but it's 
always possible the scene's going to end up different. It's yeah. always possible, and you should be playing your objective until you can't possibly play it anymore. This take, I might be able to convince Jimmy that I'm not Whoa. the right punching bag. And so you play, you, you play that. You play, which is a little bit of magical thinking. Well, no, but, makes, um, I get it. That makes sense. But I it's love, fun. I love the way you explain <laughs> it. And, and like one of these plays or this scene that you work so hard on, you could, could you, do you remember these plays word for word now? Do you remember that scene? Of course, it has to go, then you have to dump the memory banks, right? After the scene's You do. Done. Some people remember their lines forever. The longer my lines are with me, the longer they stay with me. So a play that I did for six weeks, if I got cued, I could probably get on track. Wow. Um, not really? an entire play at all, but that, certainly some passages, some monologues. These because I have to move on to the next episode. Yeah, you got to dump the old. They stuff. don't go to like the, um, deep storage yeah. as yeah. much. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. go to mid storage, um, but uh, but it's funny now that they're airing and I watch them. They they come back to me pretty readily. You could you could kind of you could kind of uh, lip sync along, kind of. I can. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can. That's fun. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Well, speaking of running out of storage, uh, we <laughs> we are we are we have to wrap up because um, I know we have hard outs tonight. But um, well, thank you guys for all coming in and for being a part of the podcast a and yeah. and uh, stunning admission, Ray, that you killed a man night after night. That's I don't know about that's probably appropriate <laughs> for a podcast to have legal <laughs> legal ramifications. But um, but yeah, anyway, thank you guys for listening and. We got one more of these for the season. Oh, well, sad. And uh, uh, we have a lot more of those to record still. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but we do have, you'll, wait, by the time you're listening to this, there'll be only one left. Um, but, but yeah, I really thank you guys very much for coming in and uh, We should just meet and just chat, though. I would love that. Yeah, who needs these microphones? <laughs> this was a good one. Yeah. This and, didn't uh, suck like all the other ones. And Excellent. We, you know, we, we, we end every episode uh, by having one of the guests do their best kind of Bob Odenkirk style commercial oh, so Better Call Saul. You do um, No. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Uh-uh. Hey, Porter, you've done yeah, one. Hey, have you done one? I've Ray's done, done it. Dave. Ray's done it. What am I doing? So <laughs> what if I've just been talking? Do, you do your, do your best. You do, and, and as Vince always says, really sell it. Yeah, don't fuck it up. Just well, that's words, too much pressure now. Just say the words Better Call Saul. But, don't, but put some feeling into it. As Bob. As Bob. As Saul. Put yourself. Put yourself. And point the finger, too. They won't see it, but it'll help you get into the... <laughs> Isn't it more, though, than just Better Call? Isn't that's there, like, it. a whole... No, that's it. It's it. the end of the commercial. Have you oh. seen the show? That's well, yeah. Much <laughs> <better life. laughs> it's yeah. the end of the commercial. It's like the end of the commercial. All right. Better Call Saul. Yeah! yeah. Oh, that was That was a good one. I don't know why it's taken 39 podcasts to just say it's the end of the commercial. Oh yeah, I've never. Have you never said that? No, we're always like you know, you know, you know, Bob. You know, Bob Odenkirk. He's on a. He's he's does. You know, he you know Saul. This show is Saul, and you're Saul, and it's the end of the commercial. He's writing it down. The thing I am is succinct.